Randa. We'll see. Oh, thank you, Lord. Bishop Russell. Yeah, the Lord does have a word for you. I, I kept, I looked at you and I took, turned my eyes away. I said, no, nah, I ain't going to look at him because praise God. All right. Well, let me, let me see how I want to come here, uh, Pastor Val. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, the Lord's telling me to tell you, he says, I've been waiting for you to ask me what she told you she wanted. He said, she heard from me and, and, and I want to do it, says the Lord. I wanted to do it when she heard, but you had to hear her that that was me. You got me? Yes. And what he's saying is, listen to her. Because she hears from me. And the Lord says, I'm going to have to accelerate things because I wanted this in your hand before now. Okay? So he says, I want you to speed it up listening. Listen and hear me through her. And then you'll be more on time with things. Okay, I wasn't going to do that in front of everybody, but you know, it just came out. But, but it's a good lesson for us to learn how to work together, you know, as a couple. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah, I know you do, but you got to speed it up now. Don't tell me what you, yeah, tell him. I mean, he, he's the one told me, tell you to get it together now. But, but, but what he's saying, and, and in that way, more will come to you more quickly because he wants to put more into your hands very fast. So that you could do more for him. Amen. You got it. Alrighty. Okay, gang. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. You know, men are like that. They want to be sure. And women want to get to getting. You know what I'm saying? Why are you being sure? I could spend that 15 times. But anyway. <laughs> Praise God. Alright. So did we pray over the- Praise God. Amen. Alright. We'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne of grace. We love you, Lord, and we want instruction from your word. We want to be empowered by the hearing of your word. So, Father, we purpose to mix this word with faith as we hear it so that we can put it into operation in our lives. Because without faith uh, and, and without action on our faith, the word is dead and no good to us. So we thank you, Lord, to stir us up with faith in your word. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. So I thought we'd talk a little bit today about praying to change a nation. Amen. Praying to change a nation uh, and about the burden of the Lord for change. Uh, because there is a process by which God makes godly change in nations. And uh, anybody who's been alive in this country for the last, say, 30, 40, 50 years or more understands that <clears throat> we have lost our footing in this country. And really, it's a global problem of people really being uh, committed to God. Committed. When I say committed, I mean living for God every day, living godly lives, uh, living holy lives, and living lives dedicated to the purpose 
for which God put them in this earth. Um, we have so much evil uh, that's permitted and even encouraged in the name of freedom and in the name of liberalism and in the name of, um, you know, not wanting to offend anybody. All of that uh, tolerates, tends to tolerate disobedience and tends to tolerate lust, greed, and uh, and the like. It is so rampant, we see some... Um, industries that are are infested with certain types of uh, misconduct and certain types of sin uh the the uh, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, mentality is is rampant in the um you know in the entertainment industry so much so that the people who get get called out and and get you know, put up on charges and that kind of stuff, kind of wonder why everybody's so upset about because it's such a commonplace thing in their industry. Um, abortion uh, is something that that should never have been enacted, uh, but but our Supreme Court turned into political activists instead of going by our Constitution uh, and understanding that life and liberty uh, per, uh, actually cover the unborn as well. You understand what I'm saying? That's a baby the minute it's conceived. You got me? We got Bible evidence for that. And so and it and it has life. It's precious to God. My thought is if you can't create it, you have no reason to destroy it. You got me? And so we don't know how to create life. We know how to cooperate with God's creation, but we don't know how to create life. And so when we look at the things that we call normal or we think the things we call human rights or, or, uh, any kind of right like that, we see a great deal of wrong here. And we know that, that it's not pleasing to God when you know your life isn't pleasing to God and the way that you, uh, live is not pleasing to God. Then you have to back up and, and get with God and find out how to please Him now and how to get, um, dignity for humanity back. Who would have thought that it would be tolerated that people would would use the public streets as their bathroom, you know, and and it would be tolerated and and nobody do anything to stop it, nobody do anything to uh, prohibit it. Who would have thought that there would be so many precious people living without homes now? And so when this this is a problem for God because he created people to live dignified lives and we're made in his image and if the devil can tarnish that and tear it down then then that's his game he likes it he likes it when people feel bad about themselves that's always the work of the devil you should never feel bad about yourself because you're made in the image of God. So it's up to us to live up to that. And it's up to us to to share that dignity with other people. Make sure people understand who they are and, and how to relate to God uh, in the real world. And so um, I was, when I was thinking about changing a nation, I thought about Nehemiah, who um, people who are, are true apostles. I'm not talking about Facebook apostles. Okay. I mean, true. And you'll see that they, they identify with the work of Nehemiah. You know, that's, that's really how you understand your call in, in God. You get in the Bible 
and you find people that that image you that you can look at and you say, well, yeah, I understand that. You know, I mean, this is you know what I'm saying. That's how you identify who you are and identify your gift and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, most people who are true apostles identify with Nehemiah because he was a builder. Amen. He's somebody who was set in the earth to uh, not just build but to rebuild. Amen. Rebuilding is a little more difficult. You ask anybody who's bought an old building and they want to what they call retrofit it so that it it comes up to modern code, but you're working with a, a destroyed framework or an old framework, parts of which are rotted out, and you got to go in and pull out the rotted out parts and then put back in new stuff and make it stronger than it ever was before. And so it is a challenge. The rebuilding is definitely a challenge. And really, that's the work of the gospel in the earth is a rebuilding work. I mean, from from beginning to end, if you go out and witness and, and win new souls, you're rebuilding a life. You're rebuilding somebody that's been torn down and that's been almost destroyed, but for God. And so we're going to talk about uh, how to pray to change a nation and how we can see that in the life of Nehemiah. Because if we are going to see God move in the power that we need him to move in so that we can get his work done in the earth, we're going to have to understand something about rebuilding. We're going to have to understand a lot about it. And understand how God uh, does these things and how he places us in the earth to complete his work. So in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah. (laughs) <laughs> and it came to pass in the month of Shislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So there were... Uh, during times when the nation of Israel forsook God and went and, and worshipped the gods of their neighbors and worshipped other gods, God would have to turn away. Well, they turned away from him. But God could not bless them until somebody would repent and get right with God so that he can come back in and bless them. And if it went on for too long, he promised them that he would scatter them all over the face of the earth. Now, when you're your own, say, for instance, if if that were true about this nation, the United States, and we went far enough away from God, he started scattering us. That would mean you would have to leave your home. You would have to leave everything you worked for, everything that was familiar to you. So being scattered is not a light thing. It's a very upsetting thing. And so God kept warning them and warning them, turn back to me so that I can return to you. And they did not heed the warning. Morning. So finally, he had to uh, scatter them and he sent some to, I think this was uh, the first Babylonian captivity, but they were dispersed from Jerusalem and from Israel. And so they were under the, the control of the Persian uh, monarchy. Uh, and so here we have Nehemiah who is uh, working in the king's palace. But he is longing for 
Jerusalem. He's longing for relationship with his God. He's embarrassed that that city, that great temple that they had has been torn down and the city's been destroyed. And so they were, there were a few Jews left in Jerusalem. And this group of men that come to visit him are part of that group. So he strikes up a conversation with them and just begins to ask how things are in Jerusalem. So he says, the ones that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in Great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now bad news does not always hit everybody like that. You know for yourself, you know, you can hear things that are, aren't going well, you know, like we, we look at the news and we see in, in, uh, <clears throat> cities like, uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco, people are living on the streets, urinating, defecating in public, it smells like everything, nobody wants to go in those areas, but you go about your daily routine. You know, cause it doesn't disturb you that much. So when things disturb you to the degree that Nehemiah expresses here, this is a true burden from God to bring this to the Lord so he can do something about it. This is different. You need to understand that when God grieves for something, he has to do something about it. This is this is God's appointed time for this thing to change. And so when their God appoints a time for things to change, he must raise up somebody on earth with a burden to pray to give him permission to make the change he wants to change. See, we need to understand because God gave us dominion down here on earth. He must have some earthling to operate through so that he can do his will because he doesn't take dominion back. It was given to us permanently. The only problem is we use it for the devil's purposes if we don't know God and we don't know the will of God. So your your dominion works. You can mess up as much stuff in your life as you want to. And God won't stop you. He won't make you quit. Now he can warn you and he can send people to speak to you. He can shake you up. He can send messages. Do everything. But you, he has to have your cooperation and your faith involved in, in life down here so he can get something done. That's why he he raised up. You see in the in the Bible it says, uh, "Who shall I send and who shall go for me?" God, his eyes roam to and fro across the earth, looking for somebody he can show himself. He must have our faith and our dominion in order to do something good for us. And so many times people will say, "Well, well, God let this happen." No, you let it happen. What did you ask Him to do? He does exactly what we ask Him to do. He can't do any more. Amen. He would love to, but he can't do anymore. He can't violate his own principles and his own word. And so, and what God does, it lasts forever. He's not making any mistakes. When he gave us dominion, that was not a mistake. Even though he knew we would mess up. 
It wasn't a mistake to give it to us. That's why you, that's why you teach your kids to pray. Because you know there'll come a day they won't be able to live off your prayers forever. Amen? And you want them to be able to stand on their feet before God so that God can bless them and God can help them. And so God wants to do things in the earth, but he must have somebody that he can work with and that he can use. And so it begins, though, with a burden to intercede for whatever need it is that God has here on the earth. So you can see here where a visit set off a change in a whole nation. Just a group of men visiting somebody from a different place. And it set off a chain reaction that brought about a change in the city of Jerusalem. It says, some people in the earth are what we call change agents. They are people that God will use to bring about change in the earth. So a change agent is somebody that God will use. To bring about change in the earth. Now write that down because that's important. You know, sometimes you sit here and stare and you wonder why you can't keep, keep the stuff together right the way it's supposed to be. But you, this is your life's work. If you're a, an intercessor, you need to understand this stuff. Because many times, you know what messes a lot of preachers and ministries up? They hear about a need and they run and go try and do it and they ain't the one. And see, they don't know how to know if they're the one or not. Amen. Because they haven't studied enough Bible to know if they are the one. I don't know how many calls I've had over the years from ministers. Well, God told me that we got to do this. I said, honey, you go right ahead. You understand what I'm saying? Bless you in it. Amen. But he has told me what. Well, you mean to tell me? Yes, I do mean to tell you. Huh? And see, this is the thing. When, when you're a watchman, you call, you're called to a specific watch. You can't go run off and do everything else, everybody else. Who's going to do your job when you go run off and do that? You see what I'm saying? So, you know, it gets to be a plot of the devil after a while. You know, it's it just one of those things. It, and God knows how to raise up leadership. Not everybody who thinks they know what to do is a leader. Got me? And so we have to respect God's ways of doing things and understand how they are. So Nehemiah then becomes a change agent in the nation of Israel. A change agent can be any one of us. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have, you know, you understand what I'm saying? And that's the beauty of working for God. You, you don't have to have something behind your name. You don't have to be prominent. In fact, many times prominent people are too busy being prominent to be much used for God as change agents. Because you'll see through Nehemiah, you have to devote yourself to this job. You just can't jump up and do it while it's fun. And then when you don't see everybody doing it anymore, you look for the next new thing to do. And so a change agent can be any one of us. We carry the spiritual equipment to effect change. You have the spirit of Christ living in you. And that's all the spiritual equipment you need to effect change. God challenges us to be change agents in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. He challenges us by seeing how faithful you will be with your household. 
How faithful are you praying for in-laws, outlaws, and everything in between? Huh? And see, once you prove faithful there, then he may promote you on, but he may just have use you in that capacity forever. What do you care? As long as you're in the will of God and fulfilling the plan of God. And so God will, will train us how to make change. He'll train us how to be long-suffering in things. He'll train us how to walk in love, how to be loving, how to be caring, and how to be faithful and consistent. There is much that we need to have developed inside of us to be effective agents of change. Wherever God makes a change in the earth, he first must burden someone to pray for the change. What change is necessary must be prayed through. And when I say prayed through, I mean to continue to pray and continue to pray and continue to pray. His pattern is to find the intercessor, someone to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that the people can live for him and the people can live in liberty and freedom. After he finds his intercessor as his primary change agent, he will choose a leader and anoint them to carry out his plan. The leader then selects a team or group to carry out the plan of God. So leaders don't come back and say, well, I'm sick of this church because people just don't come and they just don't give and they just don't obey. And that's not a leader. That's a whiner. Leaders don't whine. Well, they got a partial amen. Well, how'd you like to follow somebody scared of everything? Huh? (laughs) Right. See, we have a lot of shepherds and a lot of teachers in the body of Christ, but we don't have a lot of leaders. You know how I know? Because they all follow each other. Everybody's looking for the the hot new topic to preach, <laughs> like Wendy Williams, hot topics, you know, Amen. And so we we need to understand that when God chooses leaders, the people are going somewhere, and I don't mean just to church and sit in a building and pray for new clothes and a new car and a new house, and that's as far as it goes. But leaders need to take the people somewhere. Huh? Take you beyond your normal routine. Huh? Leadership implies ministry. How many churches do you know teach people to pray for the sick? How many do you know pray for the sick that come, come every Sunday and every Wednesday? And so, and that takes leadership. You know, it takes the ability to hear from God and to believe that God, even my grandchildren are going to be able to pray for people and they get healed. You got me? It, it, that's leadership. That's not just pastoring. Anybody can keep people pinned up in a building and keep the lights on and the gas on and collect money. But it takes leadership to obey the Great Commission. Go into all the world and the Lord confirm his word that you preach with signs following. 
So we get the seats filled and we shut the doors. Huh? Because you don't impart any power to anybody. The biggest fear to, to, to teachers and pastors is that the sheep get empowered. You get in some of these dead denominational churches and you raise your hand to worship and see if some crazy usher don't come and slap it down. Or you clap. Or you, oh, don't get up and dance. Don't, come on now. Huh? That's religion. It doesn't want anybody to get out of the box. Amen. So God has put you in a place where you can be trained and understand how to do the spiritual works of Christ and you're empowered. That's a blessing. Because you're able to carry out the plan of God. You're able to live empowered, you know, and not just a victim all the time. Amen? Amen. Why do you think people have uh, ministries where they just gather people from all around everywhere and get them together and teach them and, and stir them up? You know, they need to have one-on-one sometimes in smaller groups so that they can get competent in going out. You know, it's unfortunate people come and get taught and, and want to be empowered and then they get back to the dead church they came from and, and just it, it extinguishes. You know, well, we got happy for a minute. That's why most of, of people's the spirit filled meetings are engaged in getting the sick people healed because it's not done in local assemblies. So come on, folks, there's a conspiracy here against you getting power. And, and God wants his church to be empowered. He didn't put us, we'll, we'll, we'll die if we remain weak. And we'll die if we accept weakness. Devil will kill you in a minute if he gets an opportunity to. And so we, you want to stay empowered. You want to stay in a place where God puts you so that you can be empowered to make a difference. When you go out in the street and, and, and quote unquote witness to people, the first thing you should ask them is, you want me to pray for you? No. Uh-huh. Cause they may not want Jesus right then, but they definitely want prayer. Amen. And that's, you're out there to, that's what Jesus did. He prayed for people. He met needs, and prayer always meets needs. Huh? You know, after that, they'll want the Lord. They see what he can do. They'll definitely want him. Amen? So, whenever God makes change in the earth, he must first burden someone to pray for change. And this is a prayer commitment. It's not, uh, you know, until you get bored with that and you want to move on. He don't use people like that. God will will watch people for a season to see what they do with the small things before he gives them responsibility for something bigger. You want to be big? Sit down first. Amen. Amen. Seriously. It's till you get the want to be big out of you. Huh? <laughs> You mop enough floors and sweep enough floors and, and serve enough people, you'll get to want to be big out of you. Mm-hmm. Amen. Till it comes back and visits you again. That's a devil that never leaves church people. 
So his pattern is first, he must choose somebody to pray for the change. And they have to be faithful to see it through to the end and beyond. And he chooses a leader and anoints them for leadership. Then the leader will select a team or most more times than not, people are drawn to the leader. They don't have to go looking anywhere. Amen. They are drawn. And so uh, when God does that, what it draws them is the anointing. Anointed people always draw people. Amen. That, that anointing pulls people to them because if people are looking, either, it'll either draw them or chase them away. You know, one of the two. They got enough devils, they'll run from you. But they want to be close, but they got too many devils to get too close. So whatever. But but people are drawn because of the anointing. Then the leader completes the plan of God to affect the change. In uh, let me see. So, here we go. Verse 3. They said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity are in the, in the province are a great affliction and reproach. Uh, God does not like either of those on his people. Great affliction means that they need God to come to their rescue and God wants to do it. Reproach means that they're being made fun of, they're being disrespected, and that means God is being disrespected. And God will put a, put an end to both of them. And the place of worship is burned with fire. So they have no place to connect with God, no place to worship. So Nehemiah said when he heard that news, amen, that they were in great affliction and reproach, the wall was down, the gates were burned, Then a burden to pray came on him because of the report that those people gave. Now, there's reports and there's reports. There are people who give reports that don't result in a burden. They's called lies. Huh? God, when God gives you a burden for something, it's because the report is true. It's because the report came from God and because God is trying to stir somebody up to make a change. There are people who will say, oh, this nation's under judgment. God's getting ready to destroy this and destroy that. And there's earthquakes and this is going to be destroyed. A no. That's why you never get a burden to pray for them crazy people with their evil report. The devil always wants to condemn the righteous with the wicked. That's why he's always trying to infect us with his nonsense. But when God gives you a report, you know, sometimes you'll say, well, that's a, that's, that's, that's a bad confession. That's this. This isn't a bad confession. This is, this is information God wants somebody to know. Even though it's bad news, it came from God. And it came in the way that God wanted it to be delivered to Nehemiah because he knew Nehemiah could pick up a burden from that. And his spirit would get triggered to go before God and know that something can be done. Because those same people that tell you that this nation is under judgment will not pray for anybody. 
I said, if that's true, you need to be praying and we need to get off the phone and you go witness and I go witness to anybody we can get our hands on. Because if it's that close, we need to be about busy. You got any relatives that are yet unsaved? You need to get praying for them and go witness to them. Amen. You tell them. You tell the ones that are that are almost in the fire that their days are numbered. But see, they won't do that. They like to spread some kind of crazy evil report around like they're knowledgeable about things. And they haven't heard from God. So if God's in a report... You can tell by the response that it brings in a spiritual person. If it triggers repentance, if it triggers uh, uh, prayer, if it triggers fasting and, and secluding yourself away to, to deal with that, then it came from God. It's a true burden of God and that's how they come. When when we started this ministry, God began to burden us for things that we would read in the newspaper, you know, and I've been reading newspapers all my life. But we would read stories about children who were missing or abducted or or families being destroyed or or schools teaching wrong things and all of that kind of stuff. And then the desire to see it change will come. So you become a change agent because just seeing that happen continually is not satisfactory to you. It's like, no, we're not, no, that, that shouldn't be. And I'm the one who can do something to make it change. That ha- there has to be that something in you that responds that way. Christians have a bad habit of just transferring information for information's sake. We think we look important because we can tell people about all the problems there are somewhere. And we have no desire to see things get better. We don't seek God for any power or counsel or any way to make things better. To eradicate problems. To eradicate sin. To do the things that God, Jesus would do if he were here on the earth. And so when this comes to you. And you get that legitimate burden from, from God, then you are the one who is there to make the change. It can happen in a nation, it can happen in a city, it can happen in a family. But you're the one to see the change come. I remember my, my younger sister, you all remember Jackie, my, my baby sister, and, and she had always just been the baby, you know, and, and when we grew up, we were kind of estranged because she lived a different life than the rest of us did. And, you know, she, she didn't want to be around us, it seemed, and didn't want her children around us. And, and after we began the ministry, and I, I thought to myself, I said, God, I'm praying for her. I said, but, but we've got to see something different. I said, I refuse to leave this earth without seeing her saved and serving you. And, and little did I know there was a girl that started coming to the meetings that knew her. They do each other's hair. And she would go back and tell Jackie. She said, you should come. You said, I didn't know your sisters were preachers. They're doing this. They're doing that. And little by little, she broke her down. And my sister came. She loved it. She loved the word. She loved worship. She loved everything about the ministry. But there has to be a point where you refuse to see the devil's nonsense go on any longer. And whatever you have to do to see it happen, you got to be willing to make it happen. This is no time to, to go back through the childhood memories and figure out who's right and wrong. 
Or who quit speaking to who? Or who didn't show up at the last family whatever? Change agents don't roll like that. You lay down your life and whatever is necessary to see it happen, you're willing to do the necessary thing and beyond. Change agent people are beyond people. It's hard to be around them sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you just need to hang on and, and grit your teeth. You know what I'm saying? If you can't receive what's going on, just hang on. Because it's it's difficult. These people are going, uh, seeing things destroyed, trying to build back. Sometimes they're not destroyed enough. They got to tear down some more. Uh, it's, it's hard to, to get a grip on it if you don't really submit to the spirit of it and get an understanding this way, that way. Cause you'll never get an understanding in the natural about certain things. You know, it's like, uh, the old potter, um, the potter would, would make a, um, a, a bowl and would fire it up and get ready and when he started to glaze it he would inspect it and break it and throw it in the potter's field and start over again and to just an observer it was a perfectly good bowl why'd you throw that out it looked perfectly good. it wasn't you got me it's fingerprints on it, it wasn't even a whole fingerprint it's a partial fingerprint but it's not perfect and that's what that's what change agents do because if we let something of the devil stay in the new building, then the whole thing is going to be torn down again. So you got to deal with that thing and get it cleaned out until God says it's clean enough. We're doing this for the king of glory. We're not doing this for people that, that you know, I call them the, uh, what my mother used to say, quit sweeping in the middle of the floor and go up in them corners and get that dirt out of there. The middle of the floor sweepers. Huh? That ain't what this is about. We root out every devil we see. You don't let one devil stay around. Amen? So the burden now is passed on to the change agent, Nehemiah. You know you're a change agent because you pray about things. And you don't quit. And God, and he said, I beseech thee, O Lord of heaven, the great and terrible God that keeps covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both me and my father's house have sinned. You know, before you, when you go before God, you need to go with your mess first. You understand me? See, we always want to intercede for somebody like we don't never do nothing. You know, that needs attention. And that prayer will go as far as the end of, of your room and fall to the floor if you don't acknowledge that you're not a perfect person and that you better check in with God and, and make sure that you're washed afresh in the blood of Jesus and he imputes righteousness upon you. That's why sometimes it takes so long for people to make progress because they haphazard in the word, out of the word, not acknowledging it. Well, see, I just did that because so and so. If you live like that, now you ain't going to get too far in the kingdom. 
always making excuses for what you did and, you know, never coming before God in a humble fashion and say, God, please try the reins of my heart. Search me. Help me to be a better whatever you're making me to be. I want to to live right before you. I want my prayers to be heard. I want to be effective. I don't want to live like I used to live. And if you'll start off there, God will help you to understand how to walk in maturity before him. He's looking for people he can mature so he can get some work out of us. You know, you don't want to keep your kids in diapers all the time. You don't want to keep them in the house all the time. You know, sometimes they get just too big to be in the house with you. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) When I say big, I don't mean size-wise. I mean, they got a bunch of ideas and they got a bunch of this and a bunch of that and an entourage and friends. It's time for them to move on. And so God wants us, but you don't want them leaving without the maturity that they need to handle themselves. And so God wants to use us mightily, but he's got to to do a work in us to make sure that's good. And I would say to anybody who feels that you want to serve God seriously through prayer, uh, if you want to see change, in families and houses and nations and all of that kind of stuff. Learn how to walk softly before God. Learn how to live humbly before God. Learn how to go to God and say, God, please forgive my sins. I, you know, if I can't think of one right now, I know I done messed up somewhere. But I want to acknowledge that the blood has paid for me to be here. Amen. And I respect that blood washing. I want to be cleansed. I want to be uh, cleansed from all unrighteousness. I don't want to be right. In the presence of God. How dare we? You understand what I'm saying? Just go pass that over. And go do something else. You ain't doing nothing. Not in his kingdom. He don't use little dirty people. And he don't use prideful people. And he don't use liars. Amen. Amen. (laughs) You got to be holy. Like he's holy. With blameless. Without sin. Confessing it. God, I don't know. I'd have messed up again. I I said I was gonna. I wasn't gonna go off on nobody all day long. You understand me? We do that stuff. You think you can leave, live perfectly? You got another thought coming. I'm gonna tell you before you get get up out of your bed and make it to the bathroom. The devil has stuck something under. If it's not a, the shoe you left out there, it's the dog bone that's sticking out, or the dog. Trip over the dog sometimes trying to get to the bathroom. So there's there's plots against us, folks. We all do the best we can. I'm not saying don't try. But I'm just telling you, you got to live as a repentant person. Amen. Because Jesus took the responsibility for your sin away from you on the cross. So he's not holding you responsible for it. But you got to confess it to get out from under the pressure of it. Devil wants to keep you in condemnation. And that's a good way to stay there, making excuses for your sin instead of confessing it. But immediately we are cleansed and restored. God's a good God. Amen. It's bad enough when you don't want to forgive yourself. You know, you feel bad about stuff. We all do. But you can't stay there. You gotta put that robe of righteousness on and get to getting. You stay there, the devil will certainly come and be your constant companion. So, so change agents do what Nehemiah did. His fasting and his prayer were self-denial. 
You must be able to deny yourself and be uncomfortable in some things. You can't have everything you want as fast as you want it. You've got to understand that when you do God's will, he takes care of you. You don't have to keep pursuing everything you want yourself and have your little prayer list filled with your stuff. He wants somebody to stand in the gap. you got to understand that your stuff is taken care of, folks. Come on now. All this fasting because you want this and you want that. Oh, Lord have mercy. Oh, that's true. You don't need to fast for what you you need. Your needs are so small compared to the needs of a whole nation. Are you kidding me? You think if you let that go for a couple of days, God won't give it to you if you devote yourself to praying for what He wants and prayed for? Good gravy! Said He He don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. You get to eat too. I don't care if you waiting on your future, as we say sometimes. Yeah, I know it. He the one. I don't know if he got you any, mini mine, mo. So change agents. Deny self and trust God to supply all of their needs. Their repentance is specific. You know what you did wrong. Amen. If you don't specify your wrong, how will God know, how will you know what needs changing? How you know, you know, we, we have to acknowledge where we transgress so that we know what, what to let go of. You know, sometimes we're just slow about things and make excuses for it. Well, God wants to quicken you up. Amen. We got a lot of stuff to do here. I can't wait to give you 15 confirmations and, you know, all this fleece there, turn the fleece over, don't get it wet, get it wet. We ain't got time for that. He needs people he can just talk to. Amen. So that he can get something done. We need to search the scriptures for promises and pray the promise. Habakkuk 2 says, write the vision down and make it plain. So that he who sees it can run with it. Amen. And so when we talk about being an agent of change for God, being one who can do things, there are some requirements on God on our part. One of them is that we have to be committed to see it through. And we have to be self-governing enough to know when we're getting weak, when we're getting faint, when we're getting distracted and we got to know what to do to bring ourselves back up to ship shape again. So you have to be a self-governing type of person. You can't let yourself go but so far, in other words, and, and stay out of the, the pig pen as much as possible. Because God can't wait for you three months for you to go and do something irrational and it takes you uh, two or three months to get normal again. Well, God's dealing with, he ain't dealing with you. You just go somewhere and play in your sandbox. People say that stuff to sound important. Well, God's dealing with, listen, God never even hardly have to tell me stop it. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he just gives me that inward look. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you get your kids sometimes when they out of order and you don't want to get, go off on them, just, huh? You get that inward look from the Holy Ghost, you know what to do. You shape up. Huh? So you search the scriptures for your promise like Nehemiah did. And he says, let your ear be attentive. And then he goes on to, to tell the Lord, that they have sinned against you. He said, both I and my father's house, we have dealt very corruptly against you and not kept your commandments or your statutes. Verse 8, remember, I beseech thee the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you were were of the were the were though there were of you cast out to the uttermost parts of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place I have chosen to set my name there. Now what we see in the nation of Israel is not new to them. They've done this before. They've been scattered and then gathered back. Scattered and then gathered back. And they've been scattered again in our time and gathered back. And this time, the nation is reestablished. So this is significant, folks. Amen. This is a significant historical happening in the earth. And it didn't come cheaply. It came by people who were change agents who prayed and knew the scriptures and knew that those people were promised to be gathered back into their homeland. Amen. And so this is what I'm talking about. People that, that, um, that know how to stay with. Think about it. The people who prayed for the nation of Israel to be reformed probably prayed for many generations. You understand that, that they would pick up the Bible and say, those people are scattered. They're not, what's, what's going on in the Middle East? Maybe we need to pray for that. You understand what I'm saying? And so many, many generations, we pass the baton from one to the next. God wants to get it done quickly, trust me. Because he doesn't like to see people afflicted and he doesn't like to see them in reproach. Because when you carry the name of Jesus, he's reproached right along with you. And God wants to glorify his name. He wants his His name to be lifted up in the earth so people will know that they can come to him as God. And so Nehemiah here is, is pouring out his heart before God. This prayer is recorded as a pattern for us who come along in later generations so that we know how to approach God and what to say. You don't just go to God and say, uh, you know, give us prosperity and bless us and give us this and give us that. You have to get a little bit deeper with God. You know, get, get where his heart is. Find out where God's heart is and deal with that. Amen. So <clears throat> Nehemiah then it says he, uh, let me see. Okay. And he says, Verse 10, now these your servants and your people who you have redeemed with by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, now let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear your name. So Nehemiah acknowledges that he's not the only one praying. He says, me and your other servants who desire to fear your name and prosper, I pray you, 
your servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was a king's cupbearer. So Nehemiah then is is moved from hearing bad news. He gets a burden to pray. He's prayed now and he understands that he is the one to carry out the restoration process. That's not always the way it works. And in at this point, you have to be careful. If you're somebody that God has burdened to pray for something, and you're in the midst of praying for it, unless he tells you you're the one, you have to get satisfied praying until God raises up the proper people who can get where where the action is and they can do the job. Amen? Sometimes you'll know them, but sometimes God has us work blind. We never see who he's raising up to do the things that he wants to do. For instance, I remember back in the the uh, the late 1990s when I first came to Detroit and God had me prophesy that the big three would be big no more, that they would fail. And, you know, I didn't want to say it because, you know, you're looking out at people and that's their jobs. You know, I said, what is this chick talking about? But But it was true. Because we didn't know that the the great recession of 2008 was coming. And and all of the jobs actually at that time were being sold off to other countries. We're seeing now where all the, the jobs went. Not just Mexico. They're off in China. They're off in Germany. They've been scattered all over the earth. So if you don't see identify with the United States here in the scattering of the wealth of the people here. So that the people would be scattered into the streets to live homeless. And then when in 2010, I think it was, he had me say, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And so then God gives the okay that enough prayer has happened that I can bring stuff back to you. Amen. Then he decides to use a man as president that half the people hate. Huh? I love him. Amen. Amen. Because I can't reconcile, I can't reconcile voting for people who murder babies once they're born. So let's see, I've long since given up the D, D word on the, the ballot. Because you're not gonna, you're not gonna tell me that you can pray, you can support that and have, have peace with God at the same time. You can't do it. You think you have peace. See, you're not looking for peace with God. You're just looking to, to have your way and do what you think is right. But I happen to know that a vote is a prayer and a vote is agreement. So, yeah, you're going to have to be called some names by some people you love. You're going to have to, usually what you need to do, keep your mouth shut. About, <laughs> that's, what the, that's why they have the secret ballot and the curtain around the booth. Huh? Is go in there and vote your conscience and keep it moving. You know, and, and you'll see Christians, they'll say, well, that ain't why I vote for them. Oh, yes, it is. You don't get to separate that out from, from what they do. Huh? A snake can bite at any time, honey. But see, God is challenging his people. To stand with him and stand with what the word says. You got me? So you think he won't do it through a, a, a political person or an elected official? 
He's doing it. God's separating people out, folks, to find out who's going to really obey him or who's just religious and going through the motions. See, we got to give religion up, folks, because I'm telling you, politics is the religion of most people in this country, and they never knew it. See? But then God will raise up somebody who angers half the people <laughs> to see who's going to listen to God. Huh? Huh? Yeah, I have people mad at me. Um, but, uh, Trump is, and the people that vote for him is stupid. I say, you calling me stupid? <laughs> and then they, they block me on their whatever they do. Huh? No, you don't put up with it. You know, you don't let people bully you into. And, but see, that's their religion. Politics is their religion and they don't even know it because they put it up above God. You see what I'm saying? And I, t- I told him, I said, well, you know what? You can believe what you want to do, but I'd rather believe the prophets and prosper. Amen. Because you're going to be looking for a prophecy and can't get one because God can't trust you to trust his prophets. See what I'm saying? People better wake up and get serious here. This ain't no game no more. We're not here to get money so we can have houses and things. I got news for you. We're here to work for God. Sit up praying for no big house, big this, big that. Get real. You get it, you're going to get it through self-denial and trust in God. You get the best things trusting him. You do. You always get exceeding abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. You just do. Amen. So, so anyway, there's Nehemiah. We move on to chapter two. And it said, and it came to pass in the month Nisan. Now he started out in Shislu or Kislu. It's spelled with a K now in modern, modern language, but from Shislu to Nisan is only nine months in the same year. So here Nehemiah prays a prayer and in nine months God has mobilized. See, this is why I tell people, don't make up your mind God takes forever to do something. Don't make up your mind it's going to be slow. You have no idea the timing of God. He never lets us know. I remember I prayed for things and and I felt like it was so close I could touch it. And it was another three or four years before it showed up. You understand me? Faith is now. So when you pray in faith, it always feels like you got it already. That's supposed to feel that way. So if you got it already, what does it matter to you how much longer it takes? You got me? But I'm telling you, this was a prayer. This brother, you need to write this chapter down and study it and find out what this brother did to get God to do all this in a nine month period of time. Cause in nine months, he, things had changed and, and had changed and put Nehemiah on a course that got him written up in the Bible. Uh, chapter 2 verse 1 it came to pass in the month Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king that wine was before him and I took up the wine and gave it to the king now I had not been aforetime sad in his presence so he's gone burdened for nine months praying and never showed the king that he didn't he wasn't 
joyful about his life or he, you know, something was wrong. He never let that be seen. But don't you know that God is in charge of your emotions? He's in charge of your, what you show to people and what you don't show. Oh, you think you're cool, huh? He's in charge of all of that. Sometimes you say, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> Boo-hoo all over the place. Amen. Or you just go in church with, with your lips stuck out, dragging. My mother used to say, keep doing that. Put them down there. Put them, I'm going to step on them. Uh, keep pouting. Get long enough, I'm going to step on it. But, um, you know, we go through our shenanigans. Drama. Want attention. Want people to notice us. So we can't figure out which mood to show them, so we figure we try the self-pity thing. Huh? And God will have everybody walk past you, nobody notice you. I'm not going to lift my hand in worship. I'm just not feeling that. <laughs> and before you know the Holy Ghost and melted you so bad, of you the first one with your hands up and... I don't know. If she go preaching that stuff again, I'm just going to walk out. Sit up there and cry. Run to the altar. Can you pray for me, please? I just need right. Right, 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 right. You don't call the shots. Don't you know you've been bought with a price? Huh? You're not borrowed. You're bought. The devil borrowed you. He didn't own you. So Nehemiah said he's not a put on. It just showed up like that. And so he gets the notice of the king. I know we all think that we'll go in real dignified and real, you know, composed and everything and talk like a business person. But sometimes God will have to squeeze it out of us. Amen. And this is what happened here. He says, Wherefore the king said to me, why is your countenance sad, seeing you're not sick? He said, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. He says, and then I was very sore afraid. Why is that? Because you had to have yourself together when you came in the presence of the king. You got me? You couldn't bring... Because, see, what what it is is that if you want something from the king, there's a process to go through. To get in to see him. Nehemiah's on his job. He's supposed to keep himself intact. He's supposed to, you know, if something comes over him and he can't do his job, go out and get somebody to replace him or whatever. But you can't just come in there moping. You can't come in there any kind of way. The Bible says that a king, when he sits in, in the seat of judgment, can scatter evil with his eyes. So they know what's going on in you, whether you, you know, you think you're fooling somebody, you manipulating something, they know what you're up to. Your mama knew what you was up to. People in authority know these things. Why? So they won't be deceived by crazy people. So the king tells him, you got sorrow in your heart. Nehemiah's probably felt like he couldn't be there before and excused himself, but he's stuck now. He's caught. That's why he's scared. 
And he said to the king, he said, King, live forever. That's the way they saluted them. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lies waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? And the king said to me, for well, what do you want? How do how do you want me to respond to you? What do you want me to do in your request? And he said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. So he didn't blurt out something he felt off the top of his head he wanted. He consulted God to find out what this isn't. So he let the king know this is not about me personally. I don't need anything personal out of this. I'm going to consult the God of heaven and find out what God wants me to do. Since you're offering to do something in the name of the Lord, let me be careful to know what God wants to do. Be careful going through open doors that you understand what God wants you to do when you get in there and how you're to respond in that situation. Because it ain't about you. You know, when somebody says to you, I want to bless you, what do you need? You need to, to tread very lightly. Don't have a whole list of stuff you want to blurt out immediately. When you get a blank check in somebody's mouth, that they want to help you and they want to assist you. Amen. You need to go inward and find out from God what it is. You know, unless it's your husband, you say, well, what you got? <laughs> no, that's what you But you know what I'm saying. This is somebody who's in a position to move mountains on your behalf and always walk softly when God gives you favor with people who have abundance and who have power. Walk softly because there's a need in God for that. And he says, and I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you would send me to Judah unto the city of my father's sepulchers that I may build it. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting by him, how long will you be? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set a time. I set him a time. Now Nehemiah still has a commitment to come back to his normal way of living. And this is the way it is with intercessors, change agents. Your assignment may be short. Your assignment may be uh, uh, semi-short. But it understand that you still have responsibility. In other words, God is not getting you out of responsibility yes. because you pray for him. And he's not relinquishing, you know, this ain't like, oh, this is a crappy job. I can finally get off here and get in full-time ministry. Don't quit your day job. Huh? Because your preacher may not take care of you. And cancel the order for the airplane. I hope ain't nobody in here thinking like that. Huh? Because, Brother Porter, can you help me out? Sorry about that. Because this ain't your time. See, there's a time for you and there's a time for kingdom business. Don't get them confused. Thank you. Yeah, don't get them confused, folks. You take care of, don't muddy things up. This is what, what gets people mad. You know this devil? Stop it. 
people get more people get messed up like this. Somebody wants to donate money and, and, and you think you're supposed to have some of it because you've been praying for money. You better find out why God put that money in your hands. He may still be testing you to see to get the thief out of you. Hmm? Even if you got to let it sit there and stare at you for several months. <laughs> huh? You better find out where it, where it's supposed to go. Amen. So anyway, Nehemiah is expected back. The king said to me, so it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over. In other words, I need, uh, this is like a passport to get to into the different countries. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace that pertain to the house. And he got a whole list of stuff. But you see nothing on here for Nehemiah, do you? Now, why is that? Because if you are an agent of change, all that matters to you is that you get the ability to do the change needed. This is not for you. This is for God. This is for the kingdom. This is to get this mess out of, like when you go to do things for, for God. I remember when, when, uh, uh, Pastor Daryl Scott, he's a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio. He first met uh, uh, President Trump, I think it was 2011. This was way before he decided to run. And he began to watch what he was saying and watch and all of this. He's lost, what, 70% of his church? His church is like a ghost town. But just as his church was emptying out, God raised him up and he sits with President Trump. In meetings, he's in charge of, of some of the coalitions they have to make changes in inner cities, things people have been praying for forever. He's in a position, but he had to pay for it. It had to be not about him. You see what I'm saying about being a change agent? If it were about Pastor Darrell, he would have quit a long time ago and clung to the people that he had in that church. But he felt that there was something of God in this and he needed to follow God. So all these people who left the church, left a, a pastor who sits in the White House and is a counselor to the president. And you left the church because he ain't black. Or ain't whatever you think is wrong about it. You understand what I'm saying? He ain't Obama. That's why you left. Well, Hillary ain't Obama either. You understand what I'm saying? And so we have to be wise church people. To cut the nonsense out. Because when the smoke clears, the dust is going to settle and you're going to see the people who tried to sell you and everybody in this nation into a global conglomerate of elite people who would take everything away from you. You don't think them people that's, that's running are going to turn this into a socialist country? They will if they can. They will if they can. And this will be Venezuela, or it will be Russia, or worse. Margaret Thatcher said, she said, well, socialism sounds good to a lot of people, but pretty soon you run out of other people's money. Because everything, you think you can keep your own paycheck? 
when you live in a communist nation? You don't get one. You work eight hours, you work as long as they tell you to work, and they take your money and give you a little bit what's what they want you to have. And there's never enough for everybody. Tell you how many children to have. How much toilet paper to use. They're trying to do it now. Wake up, people. Quit sleeping. The reason people give in to that is they don't have God. You got God. You don't need that. You have God. Every communist manifesto ever written, first the first thing you do, take God away from the people. All those people you see marching and protesting, they don't grow they didn't grow up in church. They're godless people. We've had two generations of godless people, and this is the result of it. So God gives favor to the change agent. Nehemiah gets time off work and he has job security because you know how people always say, we need paid family leave. Uh, Nehemiah started it. God started it. See, this is paid kingdom leave. And Nehemiah, he's not a, a, a Hebrew. He don't know anything about their God, but he knows he better help. People don't have to know your God to help you. We always looking for Christians to do this. Christians do that. You don't know if they Christians or not. You know what they say they are. Well, if he don't serve God, he can't make a good president. I beg to differ with you. Anybody can obey God. You don't know if he serves God or not. Huh? People don't tell you everything. We've had some that claim to be servants of God and was doing some of everything in the White House. Hmm? Turn your discerner on. Huh? So the king gets all the information from Nehemiah he needs. He begins to make supplies for everything he needs to have done. You imagine going to somebody and asking them for timber and letters. And, but you do it by the Spirit of God. If God puts something on your heart to request, please request it. It may not even seem necessary right now, but please request it. Hmm? Nehemiah then proceeds to Jerusalem. He says in verse 9, I came to governors beyond the river, gave them the letters. Verse 10. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly. Anytime you work for God, somebody's going to be upset about it. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you just sweep the runners in the church. The devil hates it. He don't want you to, he don't want you to have peace about anything you do. So he'll, he's standing there and watch you. What you doing? What you doing, uh, uh, sweeping floors? You ought to be singing. Huh? What you doing doing that? Uh, you can't, you can't go and clean a toilet. You the secretary. You the whatever, you know, you, you do the computer. Huh? Huh? 
you never go have peace working for God, folks. Just accept it and deal with them devils and make them leave you alone. Huh? Devil, I don't care. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in luxury with wicked people. I ain't going back to your place, devil. I have left you for good. I don't care if I got to scrub the toilet with a toothbrush. You understand what I'm saying? We just going to get her done. (laughs) So here's Sanballat and, you know, they mad at him, picking at him. He says, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of God's people. Amen. Whenever somebody, God raises up somebody to make sure that his people are treated fairly, that his people are treated right, that his people are respected. They tell me they pray in the White House every single day, sometimes more than once a day. They got minister preachers in there 24-7. Amen. Every time they get together, somebody leads in prayer. Huh? Oh, but no, we can't, we can't vote for him because he's, you know, white, Republican, whatever. He's a racist, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, everybody's a racist now, so that took care of that. I know a lot of black people don't like white folks. Know a lot of white, you know, why is it right for one people to be one way and somebody get away with it? It's all wrong. Amen. Says so I came to Jerusalem. They didn't like it, but I kept coming. See, that's that's apostolic anointing. Somebody don't like it, but you keep doing it anyway. The devil fights you, but you keep doing it anyway. The devil wants you to stop, but you keep doing it anyway. They kick you out of one place, you go get another one, you keep doing it anyway. Huh? You don't even stop. Huh? Well, we can't do it over there. We got to do it over here. But we're going to do it. Huh? It's true. You got to be that way, folks. You just go and suck, soak somewhere and whine. And they don't like me. And what else you want to tell me about? They don't like me either. Huh? But I don't care. I learned how to not care. It's a good place to live. Some people care about too much stuff. You can't care about everything. You you know, you can only do one thing at a time. If you're going to get anything accomplished. You can't be Miss Congeniality and, and kill devils at the same time. Huh? Now you might want to try, but you just can't do it. Huh? Let me kill the devil first and I'll be nice later. Well, take care of business. First things first. Get rid of the stinking devil. <laughs> Nehemiah does something. He says, so I arose at night. Use some wisdom. Some things you do boldly in the daytime. Some things you, you know, you have to do some stealth movements yes, yes. with God. <laughs> so stealth is necessary to be a change agent. And a leader. Yeah. Hmm? There are some things that I've done, didn't know I was doing. God told me that was a stealth movement in the spirit. Yes. Huh? Yeah. 
So I just let it stay. Mm-hmm. Um, Kat Kerr, anybody know her? She's, she's a prophetess, but she's just far out. She's been to heaven so many times and that God told her that to dye her hair pink. Well, some years ago. I mean, this is before they've had all this weird dye that people purple and pink and all that kind of stuff. And she said, he was speaking with her after she'd come back from heaven. He said, oh yeah, by the way, we'll need you to dye your hair pink. <laughs> huh? So she knew it was God. She just did it out of obedience. A lot of people don't like it. It'll sure separate the religious out of your way. So number one, it'll move some people out of your life. But she says it has opened up doors that she needs to have opened because at her age, you know, she can't reach some young people. But the pink hair is her open door to get to talk to some people that she couldn't talk to. You got me? <laughs> we need to know that these things are not for our glory, but for God's. Amen. You have to stay humble. So these stealth movements are necessary. So he arose in the night, he and a few men with him. You see, you don't need a whole bunch of folks. God told me we got to do this. And we, no, 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 no. You get who God says to be with you. He says, he says, and I didn't tell any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, says, save the one I rode on. So he just looked like he was going, you know, on a little short trip somewhere. Huh? Inconspicuous. Sometimes you don't need a, a shofar and a bunch of banners and. You understand what I'm saying, folks? Anything can get to be too much after a while. I was thinking to myself, I said, you know, some people shoot themselves in the foot, you know, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. You're in a, a, a public place and you're having prayer so that you can, God can draw people to you to have their needs met. Why would you blow a shofar in the ghetto? Huh? I mean, I understand it's okay in its place. And to be honest with you, I don't really understand why they blow one now. I mean, but if that butters your bread, let it butter your bread. But don't butter your bread everywhere. I mean, some things are just wisdom, folks. I mean, if we got any shofar people in here, excuse me. You know, I don't mean to offend you. But see, I've lived a life working for God and staying ten paces ahead of the devil so he don't take me out. And see, I know some things are wise and some things are just shenanigans. You understand what I'm saying? God hears very well. You don't have to blow that thing so he can hear you. He lives inside of you. No, people come in, they want to wave flags everywhere. And and you know, I... If anybody's worked around prophets, you know, we try to hear from God. We're very sensitive and we're very irritated if somebody messes up our... Our secret place. It ain't time for everything all the time. You understand what I'm saying? You just calm down. 
There's God stuff going on here. But I'm telling you, there are people come in and out of cities and pray and leave and nobody even know they were there. And before you know it, that city is totally changed. And then all the Christians sitting up in church that don't pray are taking credit for it. Well, I remember I prayed for how long ago? And how long did you pray? All these amateurs trying to be, you know, prominent. You need to know that once the enemy raises his head, it won't be the last time. Go down to verse, well, I'll just read the rest of it. He says, verse 13, I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and to the dung port and view the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. The gates were consumed with fire. So he inspects the work that needs to be done. Then I went to the gate of the fountain to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was uh, was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not where I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor the priests, nor the nobles, nor the rulers. You know why you do stuff like that? Because the minute you tell people what you saw, they'll try to talk you out of doing what God sent you to do. People, we taking this city for God. Shut up and take it. And they ain't took nothing yet. And if you take the city, what you taking it for? What are you going to do with it once you get it? Verse 17. And I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lays waste and the gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we will be no more reproach. So he gives them one simple task that he wants them to do. He says, you see how bad it is, let's build. Not, you see how bad it is, let's put it to a vote. You see how bad it is, can you tell me what you saw? See, Nehemiah read his Bible. He remembered when they sent the 12 spies before, and everybody came back with an evil report except two people. And he knows how it killed everybody with the evil report. He ain't going there. Yeah. See, he gets smart. This is another generation. We get smarter every generation, or we should. And then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. And also the king's words that he has spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the work. In other words, they left what they were doing. They put things aside. They didn't say, let me go for a minute. Or let, mm, I ain't sure, but you know, I'm, <clears throat> I got, mm. you don't take people like that to a devil fight. Wishy-washy people, leave them home. So everybody's ready to go to work and guess who shows up again? Devil's people. They will show up every single time. I see in this dispensation, we have total authority over them. So you can cast them out, 
put them down, but you got to pray against them devils. You can't share your space with them. You got to make sure they they get where they supposed to be, and that's out of your face. Says, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the servant of, and here we got an Arabian now. We got three people. See, the devil will show up with more devils. That's the way they do. They gang up on people. They're weak by themselves. That's why they don't come by themselves. They always got a gang. You ever hear people say stuff like, they say, who is they? Well, they said you was talking about me. Who is they? Them but a horde of devils speaking in people's ears. Or y'all don't want me to, to have a ministry. Y'all don't. Who's y'all? Devils that you talk to all the time. Start talking to God. You wouldn't have to argue with me about your ministry. You'd have one. So they see it. They heard it. And they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this that you're going to do? That's the same. It reminds me of what they say to President Trump about building the wall. And Mexico's going to pay for it. Huh? Mexico has paid for it already. Because they're doing the work that our ICE agents can't do. They're keeping them on their side of the border now like they're supposed to. See, you can't make statements like that unless God's with you. Now, I don't know if y'all think President Trump is a godly man. It doesn't matter. He's saying God's words. Huh? This king wasn't, he was, he's not a Hebrew king, but he's saying God's words. Huh? God can use anybody he wants to. And his people need to start letting God use them more. We wouldn't have so much nonsense. He heard them. He said, then I heard them and I answered them. I said, the God of heaven, he'll, he's going to prosper us. That's what you do. You turn the devil over to God. Devil, you don't think I can do this? That's okay. God's going to help me do it anyway, no matter what you think. He says, for that reason, we getting up from here and we going to go do what we came to do. We're going to arise and build. He says, but y'all, you don't have nothing to do with anything. So he casts the devil out of his situation and he keeps going. He arises and he builds. And you all know the story, Nehemiah, they got that, that wall built in record time. That's what I'm believing for our nation. That we'll have that wall built in record time. And stop all these drugs from coming through the border. They got people, they said they, people are, are coming from at least a hundred different nations through the southern border. And see, they make you think it's just, oh, the poor South Americans that don't have good jobs. Excuse me? All the way from Africa? All the way from Germany? Huh? Are you kidding me? From Syria? They're from everywhere. If you don't think that somebody set this up a long time ago, you better go think again. Because what's being stopped here is a worldwide plan huh? to have open borders so that you can't call yourself a country anymore. Huh? You can't call yourself who you are. 
and have people just flooding back and forth all the time, streets filled with litter and crazy people. God's putting a stop to it, folks, and you need to be thankful. Huh? You need to drop your little politics and start listening to God. Because he's got to be the one that's glorified in this hour. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for the rebuilding of this nation. Thank you, Lord, that these empty factories in this city were no accident. That they were part of a demonic plan to destroy this nation. So we thank you, Lord, for the rebuilding of Detroit, rebuilding of every major city in this nation, rebuilding of your people that you are doing the building. And we will cooperate with and respect the people that you have chosen to do the work. And we will pray for them and we will serve you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up.